Good evening and you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green with myself, Ashling O'Rourke here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune in to this week's episode and that you got the opportunity to enjoy some of that fabulous summer weather over the last couple of days. I do hope it's the sign of a nice summer, not, you know, not overly Warm, please. Um, But I probably shouldn't be saying that out loud. I'm tempting fate now, haven't I? Anyway, I hope you got out into the sunshine and perhaps I know the cannonball run was cutting across the Midlands on Saturday anyway. So um, perhaps you got out and about to take a look at that. And you might recall that on last week's show, I spoke with Susan Andrews from the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. Susan was speaking to me ahead of their very first in-person, I suppose you'd call it a roadshow event that was taking place in Tullamore this weekend. Well, I popped down to the Tullamore Court Hotel to to see what the event was about, but more importantly, to speak to you, to find out what you thought about the event itself, but the grants that are available for homeowners in terms of getting their houses retrofitted, maybe getting a few jobs to bring up the BER rating. I spoke to a number of people there at the event. I should say that I was approached by a couple of pensioners who were disappointed to find out that in their circumstances they weren't eligible for the warmer home scheme and felt that the eligibility criteria for that particular scheme should be widened. But I'll let you hear from the people that I spoke to at the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland's roadshow in Tullamore over the weekend. Pavashni, you're here at the SEI event in Tullamore today. What did you make of it? Oh, it's quite informative. Um, lots of things that you can find out about uh, grants that are available and actually the contractors that... Um, the one-stop shops that actually allow for contractors and for the upgrades as well. So, yeah. Okay. Are you going away with lots of reading to do? Have you made any decisions? Lots of uh, reading to do, but I've actually come uh, come away knowing a little bit more than what I did getting in here. Um, so yeah, it's really informative. It's interesting. I weren't sure what it was about, but uh, very interesting. We have leaflets here now, and as a result of a show earlier on the year, we got solar panels in, and that has made a big difference to our hot water. So it's early we're getting our head around that. So this here is... My understanding is our next. Our, my understanding of our next step is to get a retrofit. So we have information here for our next. We'll have to do a bit of research. We have enough to research now. And you're going away, Richard, with a bag of leaflets. How helpful is it to actually have the opportunity to come and have a chat? Because, like, I know, like, any of us can Google this information, but to actually be able to speak to somebody about your own individual home is that helpful? Do you think? Oh, you cannot beat face-to-face communication and the sustainable energy stand there. Lawrence, and whose name was very useful. I, I kind of wasn't sure first what it was about, but he focused the mind. And this one, this face-to-face communication is the best communication. And uh, yes, very beneficial. Uh, my name is Katarzyna Sikora. Since a long time, we have that in our heads that we were going to do some improvements in our house. Because, you know, prices... Um, jumping up and we actually realized some time ago that um, to compare to what's going on now our house is not really um, energy efficient 
And I think it's time to improve it. Um, now we're just looking for the cost of it. This is what brought us here today. Um, we had some nice discussion with the advisor. We were given option, options and a leaflet and for sure like we need to check uh, our bar and then when we know it, we roughly will have idea how much money we need to spend to get that improvement done. So that's what's stopping you. It's, getting, it's the money really, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Because we, we would love to do that um, if the job was based on grant. But these are different options for people who are on certain benefits, um, for people who actually apply and, and they prefer to do like individual system uh, done in the house. Or you can get a full package regarding to what they say. And it's like when you have really, really big funds available. Should there be more funding from the government for this kind of work? It should. Like, for example, myself, I'm sitting home seven years and not of my own choice. I'm on invalidity pension. And it looks like I won't be able to come back to work um, in any short time period. And the only person working is my husband. Um, We have three kids. Um... And regarding to this, that, however they call it, um, grant scheme, it's not available for me because I'm excluded. They are like job seekers, benefit, uh, careers allowance, the other things I accepted. But invalidity pension or disability allowance, it's not accepted for this. And I just wonder why, you know, because I'm not begging, but everyone needs a help. And people that are not um, eligible for it, they should not be excluded because, you know, uh, we are not even given a chance to make extra money because I'm, um, I'm forbidden to work and it's not my choice and I can't just move forward. And yet I've been refused the grant. So that's a big problem. And the government should really consider what they're doing at the moment. Tom Haynes is my name. So, Tom, how did you find the event today? Excellent. Very informative. What brought you here? Uh, well, that man that just ran away—he's—he's um, he's sewing. He's after buying an old house, and he's looking to, to retrofit it. So we came over together as much info as we could. So you're here with your son, to, to bit of fatherly advice. Indeed, indeed, yes, yes. How useful do you think are the grants and what's available? Absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, from 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 all aspects um, for the builders involved in, in the construction, for people looking to do up old properties, and it's great to see them breathe life back into all properties as well. Yeah, fabulous. And there's some concern around the amount of, like where people are going to find the money. Just, is that a cause of concern? Um, it is, I guess. Um, I, yeah, it, some people w- will always be, unfortunately, restricted in, in, in what they can do. Um, we all want to drive a, a Rolls Royce or a Tesla or whatever it be, but um, we have to sort of, sort of cut our cloth as well at the same time. So, um but we have to try and do our, our bit as well too. We have to look after the planet as well. Do you know? So um, every little bit helps. So what do you think? Should the government broaden the eligibility criteria for the Warmer Homes event? Are events like this of benefit to you? They do provide fantastic information. But, well, unfortunately, one thing that was not available on Saturday were the winning Euro Millions numbers. But look, sure, we'd all love those, wouldn't we? I'll be back after the break. Midlands 183.
You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you are safe and well as you tune into this week's episode. We're joined now by Michelle Murphy from Social Justice Ireland. Michelle, you're very welcome to the programme. Thank you very much, Ashley. Now, Michelle, you and our listeners heard that a piece of audio that I recorded with a selection of people at a recent SEAI event in Tullamore. And we were talking about grants and people might wonder, well, this is an environmental show. Why do I have somebody on from Social Justice Ireland? What have they got got to do with any of this? So, like, what does, before we get into the conversation that was sparked off by this conversation I had with people recently through the show, um, what is the work of Social Justice Ireland? What is it that you guys do? Well, I think we're an independent social justice think tank. So we, I suppose we do a lot of research and analysis on policy and then we come up with proposals for government. So I suppose our work is focused on protecting the most vulnerable, whether it's looking at taxation, social welfare, housing or sustainability. For example, and I suppose what we're talking about today is, you know, our climate target sustainability. And we would do a lot of work around that area looking at okay, how are we going to meet our targets? But when you're doing that, how do you protect, you know, vulnerable rural communities? How do you support people who might see a change in their jobs, for example? And and how do you make sure things like the retrofitting grant are available to all those households who need it, not just those households who can afford it, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is, which is an issue. And then I suppose that's combined with energy poverty too, whereas you know, energy poverty is an element of poverty, because you don't have enough income to pay your your energy bills. But at the same time, if you're living in an energy inefficient home, so if your home is poorly insulated, for example, ultimately you're paying higher prices for your energy. It's, your home isn't retaining it. You're probably using fossil fuels. So in the long run, you're going to be penalized for that. And yet potentially you may not be able to avail of, I suppose, the opportunities that are out there in terms of home retrofitting. So, so that's one of our, our key focuses is to look at those kind of grants and supports that are available and make sure that they go to the people who need the most and that there's no group that, you know, maybe through no one's fault, but maybe the policy wasn't thought through properly that are actually left out completely um, because they maybe they don't, they're not on the right social welfare payment Maybe they're in employment, but they also, you know, don't have the savings to make the upfront invest mm-hmm. investment in a deep retrofit. And I think like we've had a lot of conversations. So this show is on the air now just over a year. And I've been in broadcasting for, well, far longer than that. And I've been talking about environmental issues. And it is something that I'm very passionate about over those years. But the the question that I've never been able to get an answer to really is this financial piece. Like, like I know myself in my own life, I, I, I am an, a homeowner. I have a, a small apartment and my windows in my home are double glazed, but I have a balcony door that's single glazed. And I know that even though I have modern heating system that's, um, you know, controlled by temperature and all of that, it's letting out an awful lot of money through my heat, you know, and, and I know that every winter. But even to do that one job would cost a couple of thousand euro. By the time you you buy the the windows, the frames, you get the plaster work repaired afterwards, the labour involved, all of that. And like we're in a cost of living crisis. And even just that one job, it seems next to impossible 
to save up enough money to tackle that. So if you're living in a, a the most common home in the Midlands, which is the typical rural bungalow, mm-hmm. and it's long and, you know, there's an awful lot of windows and an awful lot of doors and, and it's great to have that space and that country style living, but getting the money together to do those energy and environmentally friendly measures, for many people, it seems next to impossible. And there seems to be an assumption that, you know, well, if you're young and working, sure, surely you have the money. Or if you're older and on a pension, sure, you have no expenses because your kids have grown up. So you'll be grand, like you'll have the money. But based on people, the conversations that I've been having, people are really struggling to get the money together. They are. And it's a significant upfront investment. That's the thing. And I suppose there is, when I said earlier about that kind of that piece where maybe policy incoherence. So maybe even if somebody does have savings, for example, you mentioned there's, you know, a pension, an older person, their kids have grown up. But what if they have to change their car, for Mm. example? Or what if there's another unexpected expense or if the washing machine breaks down, the dish... You know, you're not going to or put if, all of your money into retrofitting yeah. your home. And, like if, and, and as an older person, you're more likely to have higher medical expenses. Mm-hmm. So, so many older people that I know don't want to take the risk because if they do have an accident or they become ill, they don't want to be stuck. Exactly. They don't want to be stuck and they don't want to have a feeling that they've nothing to fall back on. And I think that's where, and while the one-stop shop system is really, really welcome it still can be a little overwhelming for people. Um, it's also assuming, like I said, that people don't have any, you know, for example, what if you're, you have children and you're thinking, well, I'm going to have to pay for them to go to college. Mm-hmm. Am I going to put the money into, you know, making sure the hall in this bungalow is warm in the winter or will we just be able to put up with it like we've always been able to put up with because Because you're thinking ahead, you're going to have to pay for accommodation when they're in college, for example, and all those other things. You're probably not going to put all of that money. That's if you have it into retrofitting the home. So I think there's there's a missing piece here looking at how do you do a step by step process? And there is um the Irish Green Building Society and the SAI did pilot a it's called a building renovation passport scheme whereby you could do it and bits and pieces. So for example, someone come would come to your house and map out what needs to be done. You don't do it all at once. Maybe you start with the windows and the door, for example. It's what you can afford at the time, but you get into the grant system so that you don't have to keep reapplying, for example. So maybe in the first year you do the windows and the door. And then in three or four years time when you can afford it, you might do the next piece. So it's more manageable financially, certainly. It's less intrusive. It certainly would be more attractive to people, I think. And you know what it would do, Ashley? It would allow us to track the impact of retrofitting because at the moment you can't. So you can't mm. see maybe the government is spending hundreds of millions on this. But have we managed to see how many emissions it has reduced or what are the better health outcomes for people? Because obviously when you live in an energy efficient home, it's much better for you. But you, but you can't see that. So I think that piece clearly has been missed here. And there is an assumption you know, there's an assumption that people can go and get all this information themselves and sort of looking at, and I personally am looking at the process at the moment, and even I, who would be familiar enough with these websites and everything, I find it really challenging to figure out, you know, 
okay, how do I make this application? Then do I have to go and find um, a contractor who's on this? You know, it's not easy. But then people forget, especially sometimes it's quite disruptive. You're going to have to move out. You know, we're in a housing crisis. Where are people going to go? If you're an older person then, and you, if you do have to move out, that's disruptive. But then you're probably going to have to get your home, the inside of your home, potentially repainted and plastered. And there are grants from that, but they're separate. They're from the Department of Housing. Do you even know who, where to go to find out the information about that? So it's not coordinated. So we would have proposed, we'd say over the past, gosh, five years now, and Vincent the Paul of a similar proposal in the budget looking funding for community energy advisors. So there'd be a person in every local authority, at least, or in the community who would have this information. So you could go to this person and say, well, if I am planning this, you know, how do I apply for grant for the windows and the doors, for example, or for insulating my attic? But then the other grants that you can get for, you know, the painting, the, the other pieces of your home that certainly are available to people who are on a pension, but they don't necessarily match up and they're not from the same department. So somebody who has that information and who can give that information to people in the communities and target the people who need it most, who often are the least the least likely to get it because, you know, it can be challenging to go to the application process. And they may and if you're not on the right social welfare payments, for example, you're not you're not going to be entitled to, which is we heard from your piece there, uh, the um, the lady who was on the invalidity allowance was, you know, because obviously they would be means tested, the household would be means tested, they weren't entitled to anything. But you would think that surely should be a home that you would be retrofitting and supporting those people to retrofit. So I think what if you don't, and I think if government don't look at you know, it's been a year now since they've launched the National Retrofitting Programme. So they can certainly go back and look, well, what isn't working? What changes can we make? Because, you know, we've 10 billion euros now to spend on one-off. Mm-hmm. You know, we should be spending on things like housing and the retrofitting because they're one-off costs. So how do you do it, for example, that you make smaller grants available for people, you make it easier for people to do it? And how do you go out to local communities um, because I know from my own experience, and I mean, I grew up in one of those bungalows. I'm well aware when I go home, the only room that's warm is the room with the the kitchen, you know, with the stove in it. The hall is freezing in the winter. The bedrooms, are that's just the way they are. And my mother is very reluctant to engage in any retrofitting because, like you said, she's thinking about other things that might happen. Yeah. She might need that money for. Whereas, you know, she only uses the you know, that room, the kitchen, the warm or her bedroom is what, so she uses those two rooms. It's fine. But it's when the rest of us land down that it's, you realize how absolutely freezing the house is. And like, I've had this conversation with my own mom, who is the only person in our, in our family home now. And like, as she would say herself, she, she had just retired last year. So, uh, um, and celebrates her a significant roundy birthday this, this week. Um, but she, spent her working life from the time she was, I think she started her first part-time job when she was like 15. And it has taken her until now to have the house looking the way she wants it looking. Mm -hmm. And she has spent years investing in making it nice for herself Mm -hmm. and us, you know, and and that's taken, it's taken a lot of money, but it's taken a lot of energy and time. And and at this stage of her life, the idea of ripping up floorboards to put in underfloor heating because Mm -hmm. it's more thermally efficient 
it's just it's not what she's willing to do. No, and and I can I can under and I'm there going. Well, I presented an environmental show, and did you know about this grant? Did you know about that grant? And, and like, and I totally sympathise because to be honest with you, if at my house, I wouldn't want to be ripping it up either. Yeah, and it's it's that it's the upheaval piece, especially yeah. for older people. As you said, and my mother, she spent a lot of time doing up rooms at a time, and it's lovely now. It's the way she wants it. She's certainly not going to rip up any floors. I can guarantee yeah. that there is absolutely no way. And move out. Where is she going to move out to? You know all these things. So I think when it comes to, you know, so I think we have to be a bit more realistic as well. Mm-hmm. So in any new bills, and you know, obviously the 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 criteria should be that they're the highest BEO rating possible. Government certainly can retrofit lo- at the local authority and social housing stock because they own that housing stock. And the thing is, they can do that at scale. Local authorities can do that at scale. So the costs become less because they can do them all in one go. Whereas, you know, when you're trying to do individual one-off housing, it's not really possible to do that. So you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah, I think in this regard, especially for certain cohorts of the population, you can't expect people to have their maybe to have their floors or but maybe you can do the other parts that would make their home better and get and like, more energy efficient. And then look at the other stock. And I think, for example, you know, younger families or would be more likely to go through the more disruptive piece because they're looking at their energy bills long term mm-hmm. and the savings long term. Whereas, you know, an older person is probably thinking, well, how many more years really am I going to benefit from these savings? It's not really going to match the, you know, the outlay I've had to make. So I think you have to be cognizant of different sections of the population. Absolutely. Um, but certainly targeting the households you do need and just make it a bit more manageable for people. And I really think now we're a year in, I mean, you know, we have some really good civil servants in there. People and if you just go and talk to communities, even listening to that box box, it should box pop, it should be really obvious. You know, it's pretty obvious from the comments what what the what the really strong points of the program are and what the you know, what the negative points are. And then we can fix them. It's not it's not as if we don't have the money to do it now. We certainly do have the money to do it. It's how you put in place I I suppose the programs and the policies to do that. And I do think it really needs to be done at a community level as well. Because if one person in the community gets the benefit, then obviously word Mm-mm. gets out. And like, Michelle, now I know it was before our time, but there was a programme of rural electrification. Mm-hmm. And the cost of rural electrification and the cost of phone lines, like how many landlines still exist where they're still paying the line rental fee? You know, it was broken up over the lifetime of the expense. There was not this idea that you'd have to spend £50,000 back in the day to get electricity into your home. You know, it was the government took it over. It was on a community wide basis. Yes, it took a number of years for it to reach every community, but it was done in that phased basis. And there's a part of me that thinks that maybe we've forgotten how to do things like that. I think we have. And we would have always proposed um, that this retrofitting be done Um kind of based on the lines of the Energy Sprung program in the Netherlands where the state takes on the risk and it's not like the state doesn't have the money. And what happens is, so the program is rolled out. Uh, in urban areas, it's rolled out at a, a faster scale. You, you would take, for example, what they've done over there is they take particular roads at a time and they do because, you know, that's economy of scale. 
if you look at Dublin, for example, or any town like terrace houses, you do them all of them in one go, the kind of retrofitting people. And then in the energy bills, that's just the same with the line rental. That's where the money is clawed back. So there isn't that huge upfront investment for people. Rather, you're paying it back over the lifetime of your bills, which I certainly think for a lot of people, you know, there is talk of maybe credit union loans, etc. But debt is not attractive to a lot of people at the moment in a cost of living crisis. It really isn't. Not when mortgage or interest rates are continuing to rise because the ECB is using, you know, that. And the recession is still fresh in our memories. And I, I don't mean I don't know anyone who's willing to to get into debt to do this work. I haven't met anyone yet who's willing to take a loan out. Willing to take. Because it's it's risk. It's a risk that someone is not. But the state can take that risk because for the start, they can. It, you see, the state, I suppose, when it was when interest rates were zero or almost minus, that's when the state should have been out borrowing money on a, you know, a hundred year bond, for example, to put into this. Now we're in a situation where interest rates are rising. But. On the other hand, we have the you know the the latest data from the stability the Department of Finance that we've at least ten million this year. It'll probably be twelve by the time the budget comes around in windfall revenue. So there you go. You have ten to twelve billion. Obviously, a, a large proportion of that has to be allocated to building homes, but the other proportion should be allocated to the other big challenge we're facing and it's not current expenditure it's the energy issue it's retrofitting it's doing that at scale it's a you know addressing the fact that people are not willing households are not willing to get into debt over this which is completely understandable but the households would be willing because we're all you know we all paid or our parents paid phone bills where you had the line rental it's the same with the electricity so they were paying it back that way People understand that they're willing to do it because if you don't do that, what happens is it becomes, you know, an upward transfer of resources to people who can afford it. We're all paying through carbon taxes the money, to, you know, to retrofit mm-hmm. for these retrofitting grants because we're all contributing to the exchequer. But what happens is only the people who can afford them can take advantage of them. So then they're getting the benefit of an energy efficient home, lower energy bills over their lifetime and potentially selling if they have solar panels then you know, selling some of their energy back into the grid and getting some money for that. But then other households on low incomes and even just average incomes are not are not getting the benefits. You know, they're going to be paying higher carbon taxes year on year, which is a good thing. We support carbon tax, but they're not able to take up the mitigating measures, the retrofitting, you know, ele- and it's almost like elect- retrofitting and electric cars are now competing against each other, you know, yeah. because the outlay for both is considerable. So what then you kind of develop this two-tier system, whereas one part of society, the, those with more income, have really warm, energy-efficient, lovely homes, and the rest of us don't. And... That's not really where we want to be. And and at the end of the day, like a well insulated, a warm home, like has been shown to reduce childhood asthma, has, you know, has for, for people who are prone to, to, you know, feeling the cold because of medical conditions, they have better outcomes. Like 
like the benefits are fantastic, but at the end of the day, people need the money to do this. And as a communications person, there is a part of me that thinks that right now, like for years, people weren't willing to do the work because perhaps they were um, cynical or skeptical about the climate crisis. They, they didn't buy into it. Yeah. But now people are buying into it and they do believe the signs. And that's wonderful to see. And also, even those who are cynical about it are feeling the crunch of the cost of living crisis. So we're all willing to do something to to make our lives easier and more sustainable in the long term, whichever side you're coming from on this. And I fear that if we don't bring in something like the line rental or the rural electrification scheme or like the project in the Netherlands, that we'll miss the boat on this, that the will will be gone if the government doesn't take action on it soon. I agree because the will will be gone um, because now, as you say, it's the one time because of the the huge, I mean, the cost of energy has increased by 102% since 2018, but that's astounding. That is huge for people. So it's, and that's what's impacting on the cost of everything and food then is the next thing behind that. And the biggest impact on, on, on I suppose, biggest um, driver of driving inflation in rural households and urban households and households headed by an older person um, and households headed by someone with a disability and urban. This is the thing, it goes across every sector. It's the cost of energy and then the cost of food. And those are the two things that are rising, rising, rising. And government does have the opportunity to actually take control of the cost of energy by obviously investing in our renewable energy infrastructure. But the other most cost effective way of doing that is actually to retrofit the housing stock that we have, whether it's public housing stock or private housing stock. And as you say, if we don't take the opportunity now, that 10 billion euro that we have will be spent on something else and we still will be no better off. And I think at a time, I think it's really important for government to take control of this now because at a time when this week we had um, heights flown about a thousand euro tax break for people who earn over 50,000 euros at three, you know, junior ministers wrote a piece in the paper. One of them, a junior minister in the Department of Finance, who should know that you shouldn't be funding current expenditure from one-off revenue. Not mm-hmm. acknowledging to people that the benefits of that will only go to those who pay most of their tax at the higher rate. You know, it's not really much use to you if you're paying tax at the standard rate, not acknowledging any of that, not acknowledging that the best way to deliver long term savings to people is to improve their energy efficiency of their home, to make sure they've access to affordable public transport that actually connects. Now, I used to live in Dublin where it access to wonderful public transport which was fantastic, bus, Lewis, or you could walk or cycle. You had that infrastructure. We have since moved to Donegal and I have no option. We have had no option but to become a two-car household. We have no choice. And you have to drive everywhere. There's no walking infrastructure. There's no cycling infrastructure. And in terms of public transport, connecting to major towns or cities, it's non-existent. And we're not, you know, all the, even all the talk about public transport, it's focused on urban areas. I mean, you have to look at people in rural areas and how do you support them to get out of their cars? I don't want to be in the car every day of the week. There's loads of people who don't want to be in their car every day of the week. They have no choice. You know, so there's two things there that they could really take control of because people can see the benefits. 
once you get the triple glaze windows and door, suddenly your home is warmer. So you automatically feel it and you're going to see the reduction in your energy bills. You'll be telling your communities immediately see the benefit, like they saw the benefit of um, electrification and telephones. And like we're beginning to see the benefit of broadband as it's finally, finally, I mean, it's taken them 10, well, we've been talking about it for 25 years. It's taken them 10 years to really start to roll it out. But where it is actually being rolled out, people can see the benefit of it, you know, and you wouldn't be without it now. You wonder how you managed without it. And it's going to be the same thing here. But I think if we don't, if government doesn't start to take control of this and really look, listen to those people in your Vox box and listen to organisations who are working on the ground, you know, dealing with community energy issues and make some changes to the system that they have and use the money, that budget surplus that we have wisely, because it would make a real impact on people's lives. It would reduce our emissions, but huge health impacts, just to even the income impacts for families, but lower and knowing that your bills will be lower. Mm-hmm. So you're not facing into another, you know, the past two years for people not knowing how much their bill is going to be, you know, and the due stress to the, of that. The stress of that. And like, that you want to wonder that uh, what cost has it been to the government to pay for all of us to be under this stress between you know, the various health consequences of, of serious levels of stress. But Michelle Murphy of Social Justice Ireland, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. I could talk to you all night, but unfortunately, we we, we are on radio time, Michelle. But um, if people want to find out more about the work of Social Justice Ireland and the the proposals that you guys are, are putting forward, where where's best to find you? Um, socialjustice.ie that's our website everything is there it's all freely available to download um, and actually we were in the Oireachtas Committee on Environment and Climate Action this week talking about energy poverty and these kind of issues so you can go to their webpage and be able to look back on that but everything's on our website socialjustice.ie we have a Facebook page just Google Social Justice Ireland and our Twitter account at Social Justice Ive. so and we're always delighted to hear from people as well so you can contact us via our website with any issues or any ideas that you might have you know if you in terms of retrofitting anything at all we're always delighted to hear from people well thank you very much for your time we will be back after the break midlands 183 you're listening to let's go green here on midlands 103 and on this week's episode we're joined now by Ryan Dolan and Ryan is a member of the Midlands Fridays for the Future group Ryan you're very welcome to the program Hello Ashling thanks for having me So Ryan tell me a little bit about yourself how did you get involved in Fridays for the Future Um so I suppose how did I get involved it's a, it's a good question Um so it kind of started in school um through um, what what the, I'm into why now I've forgotten all my uh, subjects CSPE so my teacher at the time she was very involved with the climate and um, brought us down to a strike in town it was run by Fridays for Future this is pre-COVID now ran by Fridays for Future and ran by can't remember the name of the other organisation but there was two organisations in it at the time I didn't get involved I was kind of focusing on studies that kind of thing then we skip on to third year. I started getting involved with the Irish Second Level Students Union. 
And through that, I started to network with people, get to know people. And that's when I got to know one of the members that's um, an organizer on a national level. And then I realized that the Midlands didn't have a Fridays for Future group. So then I took the it on myself to kind of put together a Midlands Fridays for Future group. And to say that's been a success would be a very big, big overstatement. Um, it's been very hard being in a rural area to mm. try and create a, a group like this to have protests and things. So before we get on to the, the nitty gritty and why we're yeah. chatting to you today, Ryan, first things first, we may give your school a shout out. So where where are you from? and Where do you go to school? Well, I'm actually from Roscommon, but I go to school in Athlone. I'm in Athlone Community College and it's a lovely school, most supportive school uh, to all I do. And yeah. And we're going we're gonna to adopt you into, into County Westmeath, into the Midlands okay. here, okay. Ryan, for, for the purposes of tonight's programme. And, and so you were inspired by, well, a number of your teachers, by the sounds of it, to, to get yeah. involved and to do something, to, to try and contribute to efforts to raise awareness around the climate crisis. What was it about Fridays for the Future that connected with you? I suppose it was the first organisation I saw that had an effect that was cause and change. Um, before, like even in fifth and sixth class, I was looking at these strikes that Greta was doing and sure I was just like, oh, look, there's a girl over there and she's doing protests outside of her government. I wonder, could we do that? And then through the years, it did start happening in Dublin, outside Lancaster House, on Kildare Street. Um, and the march has started. They started in Galway. They started in Limerick. They started in Dublin. And yeah, I suppose it was just Fridays for Future that stuck out to me at the start. I know there's lots of other organisations that I could get involved in, but so far it's just been Fridays for Future. Now, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago that getting the group organised has been a, a real challenge. Tell me about that. Um, so being from a rural area, it's hard to do anything, really. Um, the main thing would be that most, like I know Limerick, the Galway, Dublin, they have very successful protests every year. But that, in my opinion, is because everybody's concentrated around where the strike point's going to be. For us over here in Westmead, Roscommon, and Offaly, Longford, it's very hard because I myself find it hard to get to Athlone or Roscommon on any given day. If I didn't have the bus into school, my parents are working, it'd be very hard for me to get to these places. So public transport obviously is number one, but when you're doing a strike, you don't want to be using public transport. You don't want to be using transport at all. So... It's kind of coming up with ways. I do, obviously, the group's been together for two years now. Um, a couple of members involved. Some are coming in and out, but they're there. They're there to give in their opinions. It's we're trying to at the moment. We're trying to come up with ways that we can we can work on having a protest, but having it in a different way to what your normal protest is. Protest is not having it in a big town. Maybe having it over online. Um. There's a lot of possibilities, but we're putting putting a plan together. And like, do you need help? What would what would make this achievable for you? Do you need more people involved? It's about getting more people involved. That that's exactly it. And even we have our social media pages. Um, 
it's the same people that keep coming up. Obviously, we get a follower every so often. Um, we don't post that much on it anymore because obviously we're working behind the scenes now. But they will come back, become back up and running in the next month or two because obviously we've our new protest date and we're getting fixed to try and do something for the new protest date. But still, it's about getting more people involved, more people to help out. We're obviously trying to get as many counties as we can involved, but it's about finding the people that want to be involved. Well, Ryan, if people do want to get involved, how do they get in contact with you? Well, they can either, they can DM us on Instagram. That's probably the best way. Our handle is just FFF underscore Midlands. Um, That's the best way. DM us on Instagram. FFF underscore Midlands. We'll send you. We'll send you now. Follow and uh, <laughs> and you. share your details there. Well, Ryan Dolan of the Midlands version of Fridays for the Future. I do hope the organisation proves successful. And look, it's all about bringing awareness to it. So if you if you're in in the Midlands and you want to get involved in taking some action around the climate crisis and, and joining a community of interested people. Take a look at the Instagram page, FFF underscore Midlands. Ryan Dolan, thank you very much for your time. Thanks very much, Ashley. Midlands 183. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 with myself, Ashling O'Rourke. And I'm afraid I'm right out of time for this week's episode. Just a reminder that if you'd like to join me on an episode of Let's Go Green or even just let me know of something happening in the Midlands or a topic that you'd like me to discuss here on the show each and every week, please do get in contact with me. Go on to midlands103.com, click on the on-air team, look for my name, Ashling O'Rourke. There you'll find out a little bit about me and there's a handy click here button to send me an email directly and I promise I read every single message and I appreciate you getting in contact. Don't forget, if you're listening to us on FM this Monday evening, you can always listen on your preferred podcast platform, whether that be Apple, Google or indeed Spotify podcasts. We'll be there whenever suits you. We will not have a show next week because next week, it's hard to believe it, we're at this time of the year already, but next Monday night is the June Bank holiday. So I will be taking um, a well-earned day off. I hope to be enjoying some nice weather, fingers crossed. And I really shouldn't be saying this out loud because I'm definitely tempting fate now, haven't I? But hopefully we'll have a nice, relaxing, long weekend and I'll be back to you in two weeks' time. Between now and then, take care, stay safe and... Remember to stay tuned to Let's Go Green. Midlands 183.